Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, February 15th, 2021. And that means that this week, this very week, pitchers and catchers report to Mesa, Arizona for Chicago Cubs Spring training. We've got plenty to talk about. I know there is one particular headlining issue that I'm sure many of you are tuning in to hear us talk about. And trust me, we will get to the Jake Marisnik signing very shortly. <laughs> I'm kidding. You, you guys you. get it because that's obviously not it. I should be screaming at you. <laughs> but keep going. Brendan, like before we get into the obvious, which will dominate most of this show as you guys can imagine, baseball this week back in Arizona it's it's absolutely frigid and covered in snow in Chicago I think Ian Happ was talking on either Twitter or Instagram on on Monday about how he's you know sort of waiting for the snow and stuff related to flights so that he can get to Arizona but baseball this week we'll see how many of the guys actually report that are not pitchers and catchers i know albert alzali has already been there early but for the other position players i haven't seen anyone else but uh we got a lot i look forward to Corey tyson miller Corey abbott jake arietta zach davies i guess if you will we got so many more guys to look at i think hayward is there if i'm not mistaken or he was maybe headed is, that yeah. way i he, he was also maybe in utah over the weekend so we'll see but he's in that general vicinity so as yeah. we've well documented over the years jason is a relentless worker uh and that has shown in his offense ticking up over the years so uh, no surprise that he is there earlier than he is required to be but brendan you slipped it in there in that list I and and i there there was one name in that list that that <laughs> isn't like the others uh only in the sense that he was not a chicago cub a week ago, and that, of course, no, it's not Jake Marisnik. Although, if you're really excited about Jake Marisnik, I, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of you. But the news, the big news, is that one of our sons has come home. Jake Arietta is once again a Chicago. Cub, as it should be if you have been cranking uh, his 2015 anthem, Lean On, if you'll recall, he took the mound to that. I wouldn't blame you. Uh, we will get into this, and there's a lot to break down. This is certainly not the Arietta of 2015, right? Like, I don't think anybody's confused about that. But given everything that has gone on this offseason, given the path that the Cubs have chosen to take uh, for many reasons that we've discussed and belabored points about over and over again, and I'm sure we'll touch on again today, uh, it's it's very nice to have an old friend back, and especially in an off-season where we have said our fair share of farewells to various members of this organization uh, from the front office to the broadcast booth to some of our favorite players on the field. It's nice to have someone back again that we all loved, that was a hero for the team that won the 2016 World Series for the Chicago Cubs, 
and someone who I mean, Brendan, I, I know how you feel about this, and I, I this this might be one of the the podcasts where I assume Brendan's talking time is larger than most. If it was larger, like time of yeah. possession for like a football game, I think Brendan's really going to dominate today because Jake is uh, his his foremost research project. But it's, you know, Jake in 2015 was, I mean, you think of like other things like Sosa in 98, things like that. One of the most incredible, awe-inspiring, and, and just sort of like surreal things that I have ever witnessed, whether it was games I was able to attend at Wrigley Field or just on TV. So again, like that's not the Arietta you're getting now, and I it's certainly not fair to hold him to what was literally the standard of one of the greatest pitching, you know, halves in baseball history. But an old friend, a, a fan favorite, a, a favorite in this clubhouse to so many of these guys, after so much bad news this offseason, Brendan, like, this this made me and I think a lot of other people very happy, and I know you felt the same. Well, I had to just make sure I was reading Twitter correctly. When, I had to call uh, announcement. you. I, well, you did, and I still did not believe it. Like I looked at my phone right when I saw you were calling. I'm like, what, like what's going on? And you said Arietta, and I still did not like actually believe what you were I saying. I wouldn't do that to you. You know, you just never know. It just seems so surreal. Like the fact that they even went out and gave him six and a half million dollars. I'm like, I'm surprised. I thought he'd be a little bit cheaper even. But Corey, 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 Jake Arietta back with the Chicago Cubs. And he wanted to come back. Yes. Apparently he had some better offers out there, but he wanted to come back. He has some familiarity, of course, with some older players, some of the guys in the front office, but also with pitching coaches with whom he's worked outside of the Cubs. So I think overall, like you want someone of Jake Arrieta's leadership stature to come back, but really taking a step back, it, it, it makes sense. And it does give you a little bit more of an optimistic outlook. The Cubs still have coaches, still have technology and people in their system that can lure players in. And so that that is a huge plus. We saw it with Jock Peterson, maybe for different reasons. But to have someone like Jake, who had other offers, who may have had his uh, recent lack of performance explained by injuries, want to come back and choose the Cubs. So I um, I was blown away. I really cannot wait for seeing uh, Jake back on the mound, even in spring training. It's just unbelievable that they did this. Yeah, so... We, well, I think to start here, we'll focus maybe on the personality and, you know, some more yeah. of like the narrative elements of, of Jake coming back. And, you know, then Brendan will get into some of the data and take a look at what happened in, in Philadelphia and, you know, what Jake and Tommy Hadovy, Craig Breslow, and this pitching infrastructure might be able to do and expectations and, and whatnot. But I, I think it goes without saying, especially if you've been listening to us or, you know, really anybody, um, I, I think we're just at the point in this offseason and with where this this team is going and, and has gone throughout this offseason that you're you're either in a place where you're prepared to root for the Cubs because they're your team and, and support the boys and be try to find the enjoyment in, in what they're doing, or, you know, you're angry about them trading you and ownership not spending money and stuff like that. 
And so as we talk about this, like, I don't, you know, don't get it twisted, right? Like in an ideal world, is this uh, the move we're celebrating? Is this the off-season trajectory that, that we all want them to be on? No, we've said that a million times, right? But this is what they're doing. All that stuff has been discussed. And, th- it, it, you know, we're two days from pitchers and catchers reporting. Like, it, it's over, right? Like, this is what has happened and this is what's happening. 2021 is, by the admission of basically everybody, not an all-in, you know, World Series or bust, all the chips are on the table kind of move. And just like Jed said at the beginning, I, I think the focus is how do we com- stay competitive make the team interesting, make the team fun, and keep that eye toward the future. And Jake Arrieta on a one-year deal, I think, does all of those things. So I think it, my my main point is, you know, you saw a lot on, what, did he, what was this, Friday that he signed? I think yeah. it was Friday night. And you just saw many people being overjoyed to have a player that they love, a player that is a Chicago Cubs legend and and just so important to some of the most important years of this team, be overjoyed that he was coming back and that they were going to get to watch him in a Cubs uniform again and just to have his presence back in their lives as opposed to a, a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. And, you know, you had plenty of people who were just like, I don't get the excitement. He wasn't good in Philadelphia. Like, this isn't the the move I want them making and stuff like that. And it to me, right, I'm not going to tell everybody how to feel, but I think I speak for Brendan here as well. Like, you got to to me you just got to try to find the ways to enjoy this stuff and the, and the stuff to enjoy and again like i think this team is competitive and so for me especially 2 days out from them reporting and the work getting ready to be put in by this team to defend remember defend their national league central crown i'm trying I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to find the things to enjoy. I'm going to be happy about something like this. And I, I don't think anybody is confused, uh, you know, that this is peak Jake Arrieta and, and, you know, this is the Cubs blasting past the luxury tax or anything. Like, we know. We've gone through this. I, I, I think to me, you got to find find the, the, the way yeah. to enjoy it and to sit back and, you know, root for the team that that's that's my stance on the matter we've as i said belabored the the points about ownership in the off season and what's going on with the trajectory of the franchise 2021 is what it is and we're going to find the fun in it and we're going to do what we can from a fan perspective to root these guys on to another division title so that being said, it was really fun on Friday night for those of us that weren't complaining about this, right? Uh, that, that, gr- that group was smaller, but, you know, there's still, I think, just plenty of non-fun havers amongst us. Uh, it was fun, Brendan, to go back to so much of that content, and, and I hadn't forgotten it. We share a lot of that all the time. I think at one point earlier in the offseason, I, I was looking again at that cheer card that the Pittsburgh Pirates fans made at PNC Park for the 2015 NL wildcard game. They had a little chant that they wanted to do every inning to distract Jake Arrieta that didn't really work very well for them. Well, I don't know. If if you plan to distract a pitcher in a one-game elimination situation and that pitcher throws a complete game shutout, I would say that that's a failure um, 
from from your perspective, but you know, depends how Pirates fans decide to view things. But just looking back at his no hitters, uh, his performance in the World Series, his home run off of Madison Bumgarner in the NLDS against the Giants, uh, the no hitter against the Reds, the performance in 2015, and you know, Brett from Bleacher Nation was sharing a lot of the the sort of more absurd stats from. 2015. And, you know, just taking a second to go back and think about that. And again, not that anybody's expecting that performance again, but just to embrace all of that and be thinking about Jake Arrieta and knowing that that guy, the man, Jake Arrieta, is, you know, back with us was great. And it was fun to reminisce on. And it's fun to think about. And like you said, I I mean, I, I can't wait just for him to show up, I don't know if he'll be there on Wednesday or when he's going to get there, but just to see him with Kyle Hendricks again, to see him with Anthony Rizzo again, someone who, you know, they were always kind of together and, and front and center in some of those moments, and to have that, and I don't know what state it's in right now because sometimes it does fluctuate, but to have that glorious, glorious beard back in our lives, Brendan. It it was fun to reminisce on on Friday, and I'm looking forward to it. Having Jake back did spear like a lot of like nostalgia, right? Like my first content piece I went back to was the World Series and watching Game Two and seeing how he settled down and struck out nine guys in that World Series, and I think he had a no hitter through five and two thirds. I mean, just insane what the guy could do. And then also his last start, Corey, with the Cubs. And I don't forget it. I just don't think about how significant it, it was. And so the Cubs are down 3-0 to a team I will not say at Wrigley Field facing elimination. Arietta goes out there, throws six and two thirds, strikes out nine, and the Cubs win the game. And they extend the series to a game five. And that, that was Jake's last start in the Cubs uniform, left the field to a standing ovation. And so even, even in Jake's non-prime form, I guess, when you, it's hard to compare everything to 2015 because that was like superhuman. But even when Jake was not at his best and kind of declining a little bit from that top-tier performance in 2015, he still was productive. He still gave his absolute A-plus effort. And you can rely on someone like that when the lights are on and the stress is on. And Jake encompasses that attitude that we all love to watch. That was, That's what made John Lester so fun to watch. That's what is making Cal Hendricks so fun to watch. You can take the game in an elimination game and shove and do so without being phased. And that is what I love about Jake so much is that he finds a way even if it seems controversial or against a grain or not listening to coaches as he says he used to back in Baltimore that kind of gave him the extra edge, he, he's always adapting and he's always trying to find ways to get better. And that gives me optimism that the Cubs signed him because, and we'll talk about this later on, but I think Jay can get better. Even at his 34 years of age, I think he has room to improve. And I'm confident that with this coaching staff, with the familiarity and the new faces, that Jake has a legitimate chance of doing that. And so it's all together just so fun to go back and see what Jake looked like. But I'm I'm optimistic, man. I think this could be a good signing just 
independent from the fun factor of it. Yeah, and I I think, you know, you brought up a couple times now something that, you know, I, I don't know if it's underrated, but I think is is worth highlighting. It's it's good to have someone of Jake's stature and veteran presence and attitude in that clubhouse. And it's certainly something that you lose when John Lefster leaves and, you know, they're they're not the same person, but having a sort of no nonsense you know, business first, all about winning type of guy. I I know that that with Jake, I think especially in the beginning of his time in Philly, didn't necessarily gel that well. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't, right? Um, You know, I think given the way that the Phillies have performed, uh, perhaps Jake was right uh, to sort of call them out at times, uh, even if his performance didn't match it. Sometimes you need guys like that. And, you know, when you lose someone like John Lester, uh, when you lose someone who's been in that clubhouse for a while, like Kyle Schwarber and, you know, some of these other departures, it's good to bring somebody back that sort of represents that, who's been to the top of the mountain, who's accomplished as much as Jake has. And, you know, wherever he is in his career now, it's, it's good to have those locker room presence type guys, especially when he's coming back to a locker room that is still filled with plenty of people that he has played with, that he's friends with, that he knows he can work well with. Um, I I think that that's not something to be sold short uh, as part of this signing, right? And, And especially you may be looking at a rotation that has several younger guys, whether it's Adbear Alzali, Alec Mills, Tyson Miller, Corey Abbott, a lot of the names that we've talked about a lot, whoever it is, having someone with that veteran presence who, you know, you can kind of latch on to and, and maybe learn a thing or two from. Uh, and, and you know, that's not to say that Kyle Hendricks couldn't have provided that. But I, you know, I think especially in a year like 2021, the more the merrier. Um, and it's it's just a good presence to have. It it also sort of makes you think, just thinking about him returning to this clubhouse, it's a, it's a unique relationship, I would imagine. Jake Arrieta now coming back to a team where his manager has caught one of his no-hitters. I think that that's pretty, pretty cool. I, I don't know how many times that's happened or anything like that, but I, I just think, you know, and, and of course there's a lot of things like that with, with David Ross and, uh, because he's played with so many of these guys, but I, that was just one of those things that I thought was, uh, kind of funny that, you know, Jake's manager now is also in these highlights catching his no hitter just a few years ago. Yeah. I, I wonder if Ross can manage his, you know, old friend. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yes. But, you know, yeah. we never heard <laughs> more from those, uh, the people that, that I bought know, into that narrative once that season started <laughs> and every single player on the team said that Ross was really strict and hard on them about stuff. There's, there's always a dichotomy that exists with fans where people value that and people don't value that and they think hey you know it's all about the numbers and the off-field performance if he sucks i don't care if he's a good clubhouse presence and yeah i can i can see that but when you have both i think that adds value and you saw that with like john lackey in 2016 even though the numbers may not have been like you know top tier he had an effect on that clubhouse on that pitching rotation and you saw that you know, consistently with John Lester. And even Lester last year before COVID happened, he was taking more of a leadership role and the young guys were talking about that. And I guarantee you, when Albert Alzali meets Jake Arrieta, Alzali will know who Arietta is. He knows about Arietta's legacy. A lot of the young guys know that these are like legend type figures. I mean, even talking with 
uh, Brennan Davis, you know, seven, eight months ago about how Rizzo came down to their instructional camp, yeah. right? Like, this stuff does matter, I think. It gives these guys a different mental space, a different mental mindset to implement something new, to try something different. And I'm a full believer of that. And so in addition to just having Jake go out there and hopefully perform like at a slightly above league average level, uh, I, I think overall you're going to get some, ugh, I hate saying the word, but intangible effects. I think you can actually say, hey, those effects are nudging, guiding younger pitchers towards a thought that they were not made aware of by their coaches. And Jake is kind of like a, an unorthodox thinker. And he does kind of go against the, the analytic mindset we're seeing in baseball. And so did John Lester, by the way. And they still found their ways to communicate effectively without all the modern lingo you hear with, you know, uh, exit velocity and pitch speed and pitch spin rate and all that stuff. So yeah, man, it's just, it's just so exciting. It makes so much sense all around, and it will be fun to see what like an older Jake Arrieta will do to this clubhouse and the long lasting effects will have on Albert Alzali or Tyson Miller or Corey Abbott. I mean, that's like really fun to think about, Corey. Yeah, and so you know, kind of along the lines of, you know, just talking about some of these other names, I, I think it's it's also important to remember the context here. And this is something we've talked about a lot. But if you, you know, haven't been paying attention to that or uh, some of the larger discourse, like it, it's, it's going to be a unique season in 2021. And I know it's hard sometimes to envision that because it hasn't happened yet. And so much of it seems normal, you know, the the scheduling, the number of games, everything is, you know, kind of back to normal for the most part. But Jed and plenty of people have reiterated a ton that you're not going to have a strict five-man rotation. You're going to need more people to eat these innings. You're going to need more people to take these starts. And exactly how the Cubs deploy that we have to see. That might be something we get some more insight on once everybody's in Mesa, once they decide who these people even are from the the sort of large list of guys that they've compiled. But one thing is is really clear, right? Like in some years, some teams may be able to pick five guys and say, we're going to ask for 30 plus starts and 180 innings or something like that from all five of these guys. And if we have to get spot starts from the Mike Montgomery's of the world and and things like that, then so be it. That's not going to happen in 2021, at, at least not for the Cubs, right? You're going to have guys who are on pitch limits, whether it's solely because of 2020 or just because of where they are in their career and you know where they're coming from in their minor league positioning. And and of course, you know, 2020, you, you just didn't have guys pitch as many innings. They had to ramp up twice. There was the shutdown. There was all those double headers and things like that. So guys are not going to be on their normal schedule. They're not going to be on their normal workload and prioritizing health and who can kind of get you all the way from April to the end of, you know, I think it's this season goes to the beginning of October, uh, the regular season. And then obviously, if you make the playoffs, that's going to be the key. So I, I reiterate all of that to point out that that's hopefully what Jake is bringing you. And, and so it's not just signing Jake to be part of your rotation and, 
asking him to deliver 30 starts or something like that. Like that's that's not really anything that's happening here. What they're asking is they're probably going to tweak some of his stuff, his repertoire, things like that. They're going to, you know, take a look at where he is physically, mechanically, etc. But you need people to eat these innings. Somebody has to pitch these innings. And the more options you have with diverse pitch repertoires, with, you know, diverse ages and, you know, veteran rookie status, things like that, the the more you can do there, the better, right? And I I think that Jake is one of those guys who obviously we've seen him at his peak, but he is an interesting pitcher, and Brendan, I, I think after this, we'll kind of go into some of that specific stuff. But you also know that this is someone who prioritizes his physical health. He's always been big into yoga, Pilates. I mean, you can take a look at any number of pictures, namely the ones from the ESPN body issue. The The guy is a, a physical freak, right? He's in good shape. He's a very, very fit man, uh, to put it mildly. And so you know he he's he's health forward and fitness forward, but you as we talked about, you also know that he is a leader, a hard worker, a a competitor, someone that strives to win. Like there's so many cliches that would describe Jake Arietta, and you can pick whichever one you like. But I think, especially given some of the other guys and how much Brendan and I and many other people talking about the Cubs have wanted them to give younger guys opportunities and want to see guys maybe get that chance, this doesn't take away from that. This just gives you a a different option to fill those innings and provide support for this pitching staff. And in addition to all of that, it's what we said at the beginning. It's an old friend. It's somebody that is beloved within this organization from the players to the front office level and certainly by the fans. And I think when you combine all of that, again, like this this contract, a one-year deal for $6 million, it, it does nothing to the Cubs' future. You know, they're, they're not going to be out on extending certain guys because of this contract. They're not going to be out in future off seasons, whenever they're, you know, spending up to their maximum again, whether it's this next off season or whenever, this contract doesn't affect any of that. It's just for 2021. And I think given all of the factors and all of the context, it, there's a lot to like here. It's, it's, it's something good. And if it doesn't go that well, so be it. We'll see what happens. And I think there's a lot to look at and be optimistic about, that at the very least, this is someone we all love who can definitely provide support and some quality innings for this pitching staff, however many that may be over how many starts, however they're dispersing those. I think there's a lot to like here, uh, just beyond loving Jake Arrieta and having missed him for a few years and stuff like that. I think given the context of how this team is being built, what you're going to need for 2021, and of course the obvious caveat of just where this team is at in terms of their payroll and their commitment to 2021, I, I you know, this is a this is a solid move, I think, for for all of those factors. So what happened to Jake? Last yes, year tell he had me a fought Sure. I think we need like a, you know, they call it the pitch lab with, with Hadavi and, you know, for the Cubs. I think we need like a a segment or a name for when Brendan's, you know, putting yeah, on his, uh, 
laboratory coat and and taking us through sure. z scores and pitch mechanics and things like that sure i'll let yeah, you figure we'll that out something. last year 5.08 era not good right you see those numbers you're thinking what are they doing why are they spending seven million dollars and it's not as if his FIP was better as 4.7 and his k per nine was 6.5 his walk per nine was 3.25, and his home run per nine was 1.22. This looks like a below-league average pitcher, one who's going to be 35 in like less than a month. So, so what, what are the Cubs doing, right? Well, how did he get there? How did he go from a pitcher in 2015 when he was striking out almost 10 guys per nine innings? How did he go from that to a basically a contact-first pitcher? I mean, these are two completely different pitchers and the first where the first area you go is that velocity and you think okay well of course he's throwing like two miles per hour slower of course you're going to get fewer whiffs it it's it's not just that we also have to remember the environment in which jake pitched in 2014 2015 2016 the launch angle revolution was a minority in the baseball lingo talk it is a completely different sport these days. Like across the league, everyone's telling their guys to stop throwing sinkers. And even Jake said that. Even Jake said last year at Philly that he was hearing, stop throwing your sinker, throw your four seams up. And and we see that league-wide, right? So what happened with Jake on a surface level, I think, is just not adapting at his optimal level. I think I think Jake can adapt and be a way better pitcher than he was with Philly. But I think he did not have the resources in Philly to do that. And what are those resources? One, effective communication. Two, familiarity. And three, a, a little bit of a, a new age thinking that can be transferred back to Arietta. And when I say new age thinking, I think what the Cubs do that it is unique is, and I keep saying this, but it is unique, is they're not scrapping their sinker. And I think... Given some of the quotes we've heard from Jake over the over the last year, I imagine that was appealing to him. Let me let me find this uh, this quote from Jake. Yeah, okay. So this is what he said. Quote: There was a weird transition there for like three or four years. As smart as a lot of these analytical teams are, taking guys that throw sinkers and transitioning them to a guy that throws four seams up, it's all it's happened all around baseball and it's foolish. End quote. And. I think, too, one area that Jake kind of got caught up in is trying to get beyond that he is not the same guy as he used to be, and he needs to go deeper into games. And for him to do that, it is allowing more contact. I don't think he's that guy still. I think he can, he can miss more contact. And one way that Jake, I think, tried to elongate his starts, and I guess his career, if you want to talk about that, is by throwing to areas of the zone that generate contact. And so another quote from Jake from last year, quote, I don't care what new guru comes along and tries to say that the evidence shows the cutter is the only pitch I need to throw. I'm not going to listen or believe any of it. Down and away is and always will be good, end quote. Corey, that's, I, I love the attitude by Jake there. I love that. And I think he's right to a degree, but how much do you want to allocate throwing to that part of the zone? Not much. And that's the root, I think, of Jake's issues. 
pitching more to contact, throwing sinkers, heavy sinkers, 60% sinker usage in some months over that, but mostly once every two pitches a sinker, down and away, or down and inside, getting contact, not allowing batters to see his slider, limiting whiffs on that pitch potentially too. And so this is all to say, you can look at what the Cubs have done with their sinker pitchers, and it's been so obvious. You look at Kyle Hendricks, you look at Alec Mills, they had success last year because they they were willing and able to adapt and not scrap their entire repertoire. They still stuck with their sinker, but they threw it more up. They threw it more up and in, and they got more whiffs as a result. And guess what? Hendricks changeup played better. Guess what? Alec Mills threw a no-hitter, and his career looks to be a little bit more optimistic. And that's where I think you can zero in on Jake, and you can find a way to convince him, and I think he's open to it because he's, he's always thinking, convince him that there's a way you can get more whiffs. And it is not just about throwing sinkers up and in, by the way. If we look at what makes Jake get a whiff on his sinker, the two most determining factors are where he throws it on the dish and with how much vertical movement, okay? And so last year, over the last two years, if I just had that information, you can predict a whiff by Arietta 97% of the time. And so this is showing... Stop throwing so many sinkers down and away. And maybe you can tweak something mechanically to get more sinking action. I don't know. But also, too, not only just stop throwing sinkers down and away so much, even though it is a beneficial pitch when used probably appropriately, try throwing more sinkers up. If you're going to use the pitch once every two times, maybe you're going to get more whiffs. And I will say, like, with his health probably returning... Jake, even when he was doing this in 2019, he was a league average pitcher, man. He was like handcuffing himself and he was still a league average. So that that is where I'm getting so much confidence. It's because I've we've already seen it. We've already seen these these coaches take what a pitcher does well, tweak it, and or add something else. And Jake is that prime candidate. I'm not talking about like my excitement with Jake because of 2015, 2016, 2017. I'm talking about my excitement with Jake because we've seen pitchers with his same portfolio get better. And Kendricks has been so good consistently, but he's been so good consistently by doing different things. Don't be fooled that Hendricks is also the same guy from 2016. He's not. He's changed how many curveballs he throws, to which part of the zone he throws his sinkers. He's changed so much as well, and where Kyle has changed successfully, Jake did not. And I think that's where he can zone in and find a way to improve just a little bit. And I think the Cubs are able to do that with Jake. Yeah, I, I think that there that's part of the optimism. Again, the the cautious optimism or the specific optimism yeah like i'm not saying it's going to happen right but you if you're trying to make sense of why the cup signed arietta like to to me this is where you can zone in on and be excited about i think there's a good chance it happens does it happen you probably bet against it but i think it's not like a crazy chance we do see him 
become a better pitcher right away. Right. And and that's and that's what I mean by kind of like, you know, guarded optimism. You're 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 just hoping that he can be a contributing and successful member of this rotation. No one's talking about him getting back to 2015 form and I know you said that literally, but I just want to reiterate that. And like one of yeah. the, you know, in addition to some of those specifics, I think the kind of broader reason that I have some optimism there is firstly, and you know, I'm not an expert on every other organization. There, there's certainly teams other than the Cubs that I follow more closely than others. The Phillies aren't one of them, but I'll be blunt in saying I will absolutely trust that the Cubs' pitching infrastructure, their front office, basically everything about them is better than the Philadelphia Phillies. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that because anytime you read about the Phillies or you just like look at what's, it just seems like a mess, Brendan. And so if you just told me that their coaches or their pitching infrastructure, whatever, was getting in the way a little bit and that it could be fixed, I would totally believe you, right? So that's sort of a broader one. I just trust the Cubs more than the Phillies. I don't trust the Cubs more than every team, but I definitely trust them more than the Philadelphia Phillies. The Cubs went out, got the Phillies pitching coach, made them their bullpen coach. So like even, and it's not to say everyone in Philly is not good at their jobs. That's not true. But the aspects that seemed like it was, like, like they were working, one of them, is now with the Cubs. That's that familiar, familiarity I'm talking about, where the Cubs have familiarity with Jake, but Jake has familiarity with Chris Young because of his Phillies days. There's already there's already a head start on both facets here. Another is we've talked a lot just about the Cubs pitching infrastructure, the pitch lab, things like that. And I trust giving them a chance with guys to see what they can do. And, you know, I know that Jake in his comments, sounds a lot like John Lester. They say different things, but they're kind of making a similar point. I love it. Which is just sort of like, I don't want a bunch of data presented to me by what I assume they would call a bunch of nerds, right? But interpret the data for them and certain things in a more consumable way for these types of pitchers, these types of guys— they'll adapt and they will make some changes. And, you know, to the larger point, especially with Jake, like I don't blame him for not trusting people because Baltimore almost Screwed ruined the guy's over, career, dude. right? Yeah. It, it And, you know, that was well documented when he came over to the Cubs. And certainly once he started having success, you know, certainly uh, the part about, you know, not throwing across his body, the specifics with his mechanics, certain pitches that they didn't want him throwing. And, you know, if he stays in Baltimore, he never becomes the person that he is. He's never getting the contracts that he is. He's not a world champion, all this other stuff, right? So I don't blame him if he's a little hesitant to, you know, have people digging into to stats or whatever and and telling him to do or not do certain things. But I, I do think that Hadavi and Breslow and, and these guys have shown an ability to adapt to the different personnel that they have, right? We've seen them find success with younger guys who have, you know, big time velos and things like that and come from other organizations and and turn them into effective pieces in the bullpen. We've seen them with a a guy like Jeremy Jeffress, a guy that was a veteran that was 
really successful in the Milwaukee bullpen, but then, you know, was kind of coming down from that and, you know, had to readjust with where he was when he came to the Cubs and had success for the better part of the 2020 season. So I think we've seen this group get results with different types of guys. And, you know, when trusted, they can unearth things that can get better performance. To what degree they'll be able to do that with Arrieta, we'll see. But I I think that this group, as we kind of say all the time, I I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt to be able to look at a lot of the stuff, like you were saying, just changing how he's using particular pitches. And, you know, even I'm on fan graphs right now, just looking at his particular pitch usage percentages uh, change up yeah you know and and just something like the sinker in 2016 for the Cubs it was 61 percent in 2020 for the Phillies it was 51 percent change up in 2016 was 4.3 percent it was 17.1 percent in 2020 for the Phillies now you'll have to see what kind of shape he's in I know when he did the throwing for the scouts and and front office members the reports were that he looked good but you got to see what he looks like when he gets to Mesa and, and what his strengths are and, and where he's at in his career. And I'm not even getting into those particular percentages in what I would be doing or what he should be doing more or less of. It's just to say that his repertoire has changed. And that means that you can dig into this stuff. Is it better for him to be throwing all those changeups? That's a lot more changeups, right? And so it it gives the Cubs and their pitching infrastructure stuff to look into. He's made changes. Mm. He's been a different person, like you were saying, Brendan, from year to year. Sometimes those adjustments pay off. Sometimes they don't. But it's all just to suggest, in addition to what Brendan is saying, there's always room to tweak stuff. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always provide the results that you want. But the Cubs have done this with several guys and so I don't see any reason, especially looking at all of this, there is plenty to work with, as there always was with Jake Arietta. And as long as there is stuff to work with, as I said, I will take the overall Cubs infrastructure and organization, right? I, I mean, the whole thing, the, the front office, the, the major league coaching staff, the pitching infrastructure in the front office, the scouting infrastructure, I will take it all over the Philadelphia Phillies. So... I expect a better version of Jake Arrieta than Philadelphia was able to get out of him at the very least, even if that's a bit of a low bar. That changeup was not there at the Cubs, right? 4% usage. He he never relied on it. He relied on it last year. And I don't think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's an interesting thing. And Corey, you may remember this. Remember when... um. Arietta struck out Mike Trout. I do. On that in Anaheim, yes. Yeah, remember now, that? Now, Brendan, what's interesting you... about that game, I was at that game, uh, is okay. that was the beginning of the 2016 season. It and was. Jake and the Cubs would go on to win the World Series that year. So it's interesting win that you World brought Series, that game correct. up. That changeup caused such a stir on Twitter because we knew Jake was not throwing changeups that much. And the fact he made Mike Trout look so silly with that pitch was... <laughs> I was like, all right, what's next for Jake here? It was pretty optimistic. That that changeup last year, I don't know if he changed something. I need to look into it more. But that changeup is thrown with more velocity than like 75% of Major League Baseball. That changeup is also thrown with more downwards action, more dropping action than 99% of changeups thrown last year. 
That should not happen. You should not have a changeup that is thrown with more velocity in three out of four pitchers, while at the same time having a changeup that disappears and drops more than 99% of the league. That makes no sense to me. But it makes sense that his changeup whiff rate was above league average last year. So this is a guy who had some of the worst whiff rates overall. But his changeup, his changeup is above league average. So maybe that is another thing to add to Jake's repertoire. Maybe that is something that will differentiate him when you add in a different type of sinker. Or maybe you tweak a little bit of that sequencing, just a little bit. I don't know. Like the more we, the more we talk about this, and I'm completely biased, by the way. But the more we talked about uh, talk about this, like I get more excited. Like I think, like I said, maybe I wouldn't bet against or bet on Jake. You know, being a, a well above the average pitcher, but may, may, maybe I will. I don't know. There's just so many You're ways to talk see it working out for him soon enough. I You're close. I, I can I tell. Know I am. Once, once I see Jake back in that uh, the second he shows up on that mound, doing <laughs> yeah. you're, you're going to get a video from the Cubs social media team of him doing PFPs in Mesa, and you're going to be oh like, Corey, God. I'm in. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's all, just, you know, we'll see what happens, and it'll be interesting once he gets out there, uh, you know, in spring training, and we're, you know, maybe kind of able to see what they're doing a little bit more. I assume we'll hear from Jake, we'll hear from Tommy Hadovy and those guys, but there, there's, there's stuff to work with and there's stuff that he has been changing and like I said I I think that at the very least Tommy and Craig and all these guys deserve the benefit of the doubt that that they can figure it out and and you know it's he's just been so all over the place like you look at his his slider usage rate from 2015 30 percent in 2015 18 percent in 16 14 percent in 17 then he goes to the Phillies in 2018 it's back up to 24 percent then down to 12 percent in 2019 back up to 23 percent in 2020 again I am. I have not watched all the video of Jake Arrieta's slider in Philadelphia and and put together a plan for him. But that that's crazy fluctuation from from year to year, often in the same organization. And you know, twenty twenty was a, a weird year. It's only so many starts. Uh, but you know, just just looking at twenty three percent, twelve percent, twenty three percent in in three years in Philadelphia, there there's stuff for the Cubs to play with. Their 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 goal and their job is to look at all these different combinations, look at all these sequences, look at all of this stuff and figure out how do we put this together the best to get the most out of 2021 Jake Arietta. And again, I believe in this pitching infrastructure and group to get that. And I and I think we we often maybe overvalue or try to overvalue the some the the change of environment the change of scenery somebody coming back to a place that they're familiar with but I, like i would be lying if if i told you that i didn't believe that and and i don't know how this is going to go hopefully at some point there are fans at Wrigley Field whatever percentage it is by some point in this season like I would be lying if I told you that I didn't honestly believe there is a real value to Jake Arrieta in his performance by being back in a Cubs blue uniform with that Cubs blue hat on, pitching with the beautiful ivy and the brick backdrop of historic landmark Wrigley Field. I would be lying if I told you that I didn't believe there was actual value in that for Jake Arietta, knowing that when he fields a ground ball 
on the mound. He's tossing it to Anthony Rizzo over at first base and the Wrigley faithful cheering him when he goes off the field. I believe it, Brendan. And again, like, I'm not telling you he's going to go win a Cy Young. Like, no, 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 no. Don't get it twisted just because we're excited to have an old friend back. Like, no, I've laid out the context of all of this, I think, pretty appropriately. But I do think there's value there. And I, I think he will feel more comfortable. And I think that type of stuff, especially someone like Jake, I think he gets jacked up by stuff like that. We saw that in the wildcard game. He embraces big moments. He's one of those guys. He embraces big moments. He embraces people putting a target on his back. He embraced those Pirates fans talking all that trash to him online. He thrives on that stuff. I really believe that the electricity of Wrigley Field and the fans, whether it's 20%, 50%, whatever full, that, that we can get in 2021. I, I believe on top of everything we've talked about, I believe that there is value there and that that can provide a boost to someone like Arietta on a one-year deal in a, you know, sort of, you know, weird spot in his career, right? He's getting up there in age. He's going to be a free agent again after this process. I think there's value there and I'm looking forward to it. And, and like we were saying, like the, I'm so here for the the Jake Arrieta is back in Cubs camp content. I can't wait. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but getting back to with, with a little bit here left in our program for today, just want to touch on uh, some other stuff. So we did, I, I mentioned it before, I, I, don't, I don't have much to say, uh, but the Cubs do add someone in Jake Marisnik, uh, good defender. And, you know, sort of, I think, uh, kind of a replacement of sorts, so to speak, for someone like Almora. Um, But I like it. I I think, you know, adding depth like that, someone that can be uh, a good defender and, you know, another piece potentially for David Ross at times, however they choose to use him, I think that's fine. Nothing really exciting there. Uh, I, I have one more move and, you know, you can offer any context that you'd like, Brendan. But we also do learn on Monday afternoon that Jason Kipnis going to the Braves. So there, there's been a lot of talk about the Cubs' second base position. We've talked about it in particular. I think it it kind of seemed like that reunion was very possible. Uh, I don't know how likely it ever was, um, but that will not happen. So, you know, there, there's been some discussion that the Cubs are looking for depth at second base, and there's not a lot left out there uh, unless you're looking at, you know, guys like Eric Sogard and, you know, some other, at least in my opinion, not particularly exciting names. I, I think the reason that, you know, we were interested in someone like Colton Wong was the defense angle. And you also just brought in a guy who generates more ground balls, right, in Arietta. So yeah. we're still a little salty about that, but it's okay. It's not the direction they went. Uh, unless it had a specific angle like that, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not like super moved by someone like Sogard or Travis Shaw or some of these other kind of random names out there. There may be others that Jed can explore, and I, I don't know who's available via trade or anything like that. But I, I you know, I think at a certain point, I, I, I would probably just prefer letting David Bodie and, you know, guys like Ildemaro Vargas 
try to develop and, and see what they can do. Um, and, you know, that all, of course, depends on what your plan with Nico is. But I, I guess it's all just to say, unless there was like a very specific angle and you were kind of targeting a very valuable and quantifiable skill like Wong was bringing in terms of in being like, you know, one of the best, if not the best defensive second baseman in the league, right? That's like a premium skill. I'd, you know, rather just sort of see what your own guys can do and, you know, see if uh, Bodie can take strides or, you know, whatever, right? Like, it just doesn't excite me to bring in, you know, some random guy that's probably not doing much more than those guys already. But part of that does depend on what their exact plan with Nico is. And at the end of the day, depth is always a good thing. Um, You know, we talk a lot about the pitchers being on limited schedules and things like that. You know, from a position player perspective, depth is always good and having more options. But that is the story of that. If you were waiting for a Kipnis reunion, if you were expecting a Kipnis reunion, it is not to be as he heads to Atlanta. So, uh, it, you know, he was uh, solid, if you know, if not uh, anything spectacular in that season for the Cubs. But I, I, I did appreciate the, the the veteran leadership that he brought. He seemed to really gel with the clubhouse, and you could tell just you know from watching on TV that he was bringing a very positive presence to that clubhouse. I think he's one of those guys that even though he was with the team for a very short period of time, I think people will speak very highly of him and what he contributed on and off the field. Also a shame that, you know, he is from Chicago, uh, Northbrook, and didn't get to play oh, in he? front of Cubs fans. I think that's, you know, just sort of one of those uh, things you would have liked to see. I think that would have been cool, you know, for his family to be there and stuff like that. But alas, not to be. So farewell to Jason Kipnis. And we'll see what the Cubs do uh, in terms of second base, if that's it for them or not. They've also been connected. There was a report that they watched uh, reliever David Robertson pitch. There, you know, it's just some thought out there that, you know, perhaps they're still looking uh, at the second base position, obviously, and perhaps, uh, you know, to continue adding more arms. So we will see what is out there for that. So Brendan, I don't know if you have any crucial thoughts on Jake Marisnik or or Jason Kipnis or anything like that, but uh, that is the state of things other than Jake Arrieta. I think people forget Matt Duffy exists. I did. Duffy's not a second baseman by trade, but he is a natural shortstop. He's a third baseman. Um, I can see it playing out two ways for second base. First way is you have Bodie take over, or you have Nico at some point take over, or Ildemaro Vargas comes out and surprises everyone. So that's one way. The second way is that, and this this is a little bit weird, but maybe you have Matt Duffy get a chance somehow. And how does he get a chance? Well, he can play third base. You can move KB to the outfield. You can put Ian Happ at second base. Ian Happ was a natural second baseman. I... I don't think we've heard any reports about Hap ever going back to second base, but he is second baseman, and that is flexibility. And if Matt Duffy forces his bat in the lineup, then they got to find a way to play him somewhere. And it, even if it is at third base, you can still find a way to move Hap to second base and move you know KB to the outfield. So I think there's ways to do it. Matt Duffy should get more attention, not because I think he's a you know surefire thing, but he has really appealing peripherals he's a guy who does not swing at that many bad pitches 
and he has a contact rate well above league average, and he has a history of performing well and playing multiple positions. So Matt Duffy is a guy that, if you're thinking about second base, indirectly, I think he has an effect on that second base. Yeah, so I think that is uh, all stuff to keep an eye on. Uh, the The Cubs also did sign infielder Sergio Alcantara, uh, who was in the Tigers minor league system. I don't know, you know, what their plan is for them, but, you know, I, I did send you that video at one point. Brendan, he's got a cannon for an arm. I don't think you're yeah. going to get much from an offensive perspective, but, you know, again, in terms of guys where you might need depth and if you're just looking to spruce up the defense at times the the guy has a cannon uh from short so i i would think that you know you could probably get him to play second base if you absolutely needed to we'll see again i i think we've gone through this but the the second base position is is clearly one to watch as uh, pitchers and catchers show up uh, second base isn't included in that group obviously but it's the start of spring training so that's going to be one of those things to watch because i think you know, there there's a lot of open-ended stuff, especially when it comes to the pitching staff, the rotation and the bullpen that obviously is going to need to get shaken out and, you know, see how all of that plays out. But from a position player perspective is, you know, as, as long as the roster remains the same, which just because pitchers and catchers are reporting doesn't mean that it has to, but hopefully it does. Uh, Jed, if you're listening, just hang up the phone. Thank you. Um, there, there's only, you know, the second base is the primary position where there's any confusion really at all. Everything else is pretty set in stone. You know, we've learned since the signing that, you know, Jock Peterson is here to be the left fielder. He's not going to play 162 games. Uh, and, you know, I think Philip Irvin is is a, a nice guy to have to switch up the matchups, but Jock didn't come here to have a question of his playing time, right? So when you look around the diamond and in the outfield, a lot of it's pretty clear cut, right? Except for second base. So as we head into spring training, uh, especially with Kipnis off the market, it's I think one of the main places to look as to like, okay, let's get everybody in camp and see what the Cubs are thinking here and, and see how this all plays out. So that uh, is is pretty much the gist of it. It's, it's nice to be on the cusp of baseball. Pitchers and catchers arriving, you know, means we're going to get content. We're going to hear from these guys. They're all going to be together. As Jed Hoyer has said, we'll see how extension talks play out, if they play out at all, but he's on record as saying that once everybody is together in Arizona, that would be a better and and more optimal time to bring that stuff up. So, you know, if Jed wanted to extend Anthony Rizzo for the rest of his life, I'm here for it. That would be a nice way to end this offseason get that out of the way. Uh, you know, again, Jed, if you're listening, Anthony v- Vincent Rizzo, he's your first baseman, number 44. If you just want to, you know, ink him up for life, make him a Chicago Cub for the rest of his life, that would be great. Um, but other than that, it's it's about time for baseball. I know, I know it's really cold and very snowy in Chicago, so it's sort of hard to transition to that warm weather thinking and, and getting ready for baseball. But pitchers and catchers. Uh, By the time you guys are listening to it, if it's late Monday night or or Tuesday morning, we're a day away from, you know, the the sort of kickoff of spring training and, and guys arriving. So that is always 
an exciting time. And if you need something to pass the time in the next couple days, I I would recommend go on YouTube or on uh, Cubs.com or wherever and and just watch some of those old Jake Arrieta highlights. And 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 don't not thinking you're going to get that Jake back, but it's it's just fun to think about that man being in a Cubs uniform again, that presence and that beard, everything about him being back in the Chicago Cubs locker room. And I I, I watched some of that uh, Reds no-hitter was the one I ended up watching uh, the most of the other night for for whatever reason, probably just because I end up seeing those Pirates highlights a lot. That that comes up maybe more often. And it was just fun to think about, man. And, and it's been such a an up-and-down offseason uh, with farewells, some hitting us harder than others. You know, I'm not going to name any names, but some of us cried over some of the departures. You know, again, not naming any names, but it, it's it's nice to have somebody back. It's nice to have some good news. And, you know, I, I think, again, a, a key for this season is, you know, uh, keeping expectations realistic. But uh, again, the, the you know, as we're so close to this, and by the time we talk to you guys next, pitchers and catchers will be there. Like, this division is winnable for the Chicago Cubs. They can win this division. They, to me, no team in this division is clearly better than them right now. I don't think anybody's better than them at all. I will be when Brendan and I do our predictions, picking them to win the division. And I know it's not a good division. I know you know you you may not put this roster on par with the Dodgers and Padres and Braves and 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 teams like that, but. This team absolutely can defend their NL Central crown, and we will deal with the playoffs and anybody else when the time comes. But uh, I and I think Brendan are, are ready to, you know, put our Cubs gear on and uh, cheer for the Chicago Cubs and, and have baseball back in our lives. And uh, again, try to win another division. Try to win uh, and you know make the playoffs for the sixth time in seven years. So that is that is the task at hand for now. And as always, if, if something imminent happens, we'll jump back on to talk with you. Uh, Brendan and I have not discussed specifically the schedule at this point, um, but as you know, players are arriving at spring training and, and things are picking up, uh, at some point we'll return to our twice-a-week schedule and, and get more content out there. It just sort of depends on how things are going. And uh, as always, if we have enough to talk about to justify asking you guys to sit and listen to us for an hour. So stay tuned for that. We'll try to, you know, maybe come up with a more concrete plan as, as the days go on. But otherwise, enjoy pitchers and catchers coming back. I hope there's a lot of good content for us. And as always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Cubs!